Immigration Advocates Network podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Peter Bogdanich, Immigrant Youth Resources Coordinator with the Immigration Advocates Network. Thank you for joining us for a discussion on gang-based asylum claims of children and youth. Today, I'll be speaking with Shaoni Maitra, staff attorney at the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies at UC Hastings College of Law. The Center for Gender and Refugee Studies has recently been working on a practice advisory on the topic of gang-based asylum claims. I wanted to speak with Shaoni about their research and discuss recent trends in the adjudication of these cases. Shaoni, thanks so much for joining me. Could you give a brief description of your role with the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies? Thanks very much for having me, Peter. At CGRS, we aim to ensure protection of women, children, LGBT individuals, and other refugees, and as well as to address the root causes of persecution through legal expertise and training, impact litigation, policy advocacy, in-country fact-finding, and development of expert declarations, as well as international human rights instruments. As a staff attorney, a focus of my work is providing technical assistance to attorneys through one-on-one consultations and trainings, and developing advisories and other resources which address case law, adjudication trends, and best practices on key issues arising in asylum claims in the United States. Great. As many of our listeners are probably aware, Since 2014, hundreds of thousands of Central American refugees, primarily from three Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, have fled their countries of origin seeking asylum and other forms of humanitarian relief in the United States, the vast majority of them being women and children. Although there are many underlying causes for this crisis, instability caused by increasing levels of gang violence is one common factor. The rise of criminal gangs in these countries has led to a corresponding rise in asylum cases that are directly or indirectly based on gang violence. During today's discussion, we will touch on five common types of asylum claims that are affected by gang violence, resisting gang recruitment, former gang membership, family, gender, and political opinion. At the end, I'll ask Shione about how advocates can use the Center for Gender and Refugees Studies new practice advisory as a resource. So turning now to our first two categories, gang recruitment and former gang membership. It is well documented that gangs in Central America target children for recruitment. Many children have fled their home countries because they didn't want to join a gang and feared retribution based on their refusal to join. There have also been cases of children and young adults who were once gang members but decided to leave the gang for personal or moral reasons. Can you talk briefly about the BIA's two precedent decisions from 2014, matter of MEVG and matter of WGR? Have these precedents made it more difficult for uh, children to pursue asylum claims based on gang recruitment and former gang membership? And how have advocates responded when pursuing these claims? So, unfortunately, the BI's decisions in MEVG and WGR have been problematic for asylum claims overall. 
and are likely to have an even greater impact on asylum seekers in light of new enforcement policies and increased use of detention and expedited removal as asylum seekers in these situations are less likely to have counsel and to help them navigate these complex and uh, evolving tests and to come up with the exact wording of the particular social group that will satisfy the adjudicator. So prior to MEVG and WGR, the BIA issued a series of decisions setting forth social visibility and particularity as two additional requirements for a valid particular social group, which move beyond the immutability test and matter of Acosta, um, which has resulted in confusion over what these terms mean, um, as well as uh, concerns about inconsistent application of these tests. In MEVG, the BIA attempted to clarify the resulting confusion over the social visibility test by renaming it uh, as social distinction, explaining that ocular or on-site visibility is not required and that the correct analysis is whether the group is perceived as such by society and not just by the persecutor. With respect to particularity, the BIA stated that the terms used to describe the group must have commonly accepted definitions in that society and that the group not be overbroad, amorphous, or subjective. Now, because the BIA has used gang recruitment cases to, um, you know, expound on these changing and increasingly confounding tests, gang-related claims um, in particular have gotten a bad rap. So, however, um, while the social distinction and particularity standards make it more challenging to formulate asylum claims overall, these decisions should definitely not be read to render all claims related to gang violence not viable. Although particular social groups defined by recruitment or opposition to gangs have generally not fared well before the BIA or various courts of appeals, in MEVG, the BIA did note that such decisions were not meant to be read as a blanket rejection of all factual scenarios involving gangs since social group determinations are made on a case-by-case -case basis. And while WGR rejected the particular social group of former members of MARA 18 in El Salvador, there are courts of appeals decisions recognizing particular social groups based on former gang membership as potentially valid. So for these reasons, after MEVG and WGR, advocates should really focus on building the record with ample country conditions evidence to argue that particular social groups must be analyzed on a case-by-case -case basis and that under the facts of their particular case, the proposed social group is valid, even if a similar group was rejected in a different context. Attorneys should also explore the specific characteristics that made their clients particularly vulnerable to recruitment or other harm, uh, for example, family relationship, gender, sexual orientation or gender identity, disability, ethnicity, religion, or political opinion. Interesting. And one thing I've noticed from 
reading uh, secondary sources on, on those two precedent decisions is that some folks think that the social distinction and particularity standards are contradictory. Uh, do you agree with that? And is the BIA applying these standards inconsistently? Yes, I do think that these decisions have uh, definitely been applied in an inconsistent manner. Um, so as a result, in some decisions, it's actually hard to tell apart particularity from social distinction and what the difference between those requirements is, while in other situations, there is certainly a tension between social distinction and particularity. So as one example, a social group defined by men between the ages of 15 and 20 who are former members of Mara 18 and El Salvador for at least two years who left in the past five years may have satisfied the BIA in a matter of WGR for purposes of particularity, but those very specific parameters are unlikely to be recognized by Salvadoran society for the purposes of social distinction. And also, by requiring a group to be homogenous in that matter in order to satisfy particularity, the BIA is going against prior decisions that have clearly held that internal diversity should not defeat a group. And so, how far have circuit courts gone to strike down or affirm these two precedents? The Third and Seventh Circuits were the only circuits to reject all or part of the social visibility and particularity requirements before NEVG and WGR. Um, since then, neither court has addressed squarely whether these two um, BIA decisions were enough to satisfy their prior concerns. And they have continued to apply the original Acosta immutability standard. Um, the Ninth Circuit, on the other hand, is the only circuit to rule directly on the validity of um, the new standard, and the Ninth Circuit has upheld the social distinction and particularity requirements and deferred to the BIA on that. The remaining circuits have applied the standard largely um, without any comment. So. In light of this, attorneys in the Third and Seventh Circuits should definitely argue that social distinction and particularity uh, under MEVG and WGR continue to be unreasonable interpretations of the statutory provisions on asylum and are inconsistent with prior uh, precedent. And attorneys in other circuits that haven't squarely ruled on these requirements should also consider preserving challenges to them. However, out of caution, uh, attorneys in all jurisdictions should still present ample evidence to support social distinction and particularity. Great. Turning now to our third topic, family as a basis for asylum in the context of gang persecution. How viable are these types of family-based claims? Have there been any recent cases that illustrate the standard for approving or denying family-based asylum claims? So from what CGRS has seen and what other attorneys have shared with us, claims based on family relationships have actually been some of the most successful gang-related claims. 
the BIA and courts of appeal have long held kinship and family ties as a basis for a particular social group. And many circuits have upheld nuclear family and immediate family alone as the quintessential particular social group. It's just two recent examples from this year. On May 1st, the Ninth Circuit issued a published decision in Ayala versus Sessions, which affirmed that asylum applicants' family as a valid particular social group. And this past March, the Fourth Circuit recognized in Cruz versus Sessions the particular social group of the um, nuclear family of that applicant's domestic partner. So do cases depend on the circumstances that led a gang to target a family member? For instance, uh, a family member's membership in a particular social group? Uh, or does it more depend on the likelihood of future persecution? So um, when recognizing nuclear or immediate family alone without more as a particular social group, Several, several courts of appeal decisions have also noted that family member um, family membership does not need to be intertwined with another protected ground. Uh, so, for example, in an unpublished decision from this past March, via Toro versus Sessions, the Fourth Circuit uh, clarified that the correct analysis is not whether that applicant's father and brother uh, who are the ones initially targeted by the gang. Um, it doesn't matter whether they were persecuted on account of a protected ground, but whether the applicant herself was persecuted on her family ties to her father and brother. And an older published uh, Fourth Circuit case, Crespin Valladares versus Holder, held that family members of prosecutorial witnesses is a valid particular social group, regardless of whether those per, uh, prosecutorial witnesses themselves constitute a valid group. It's also important to note that there um, is a lot of helpful case law out there recognizing mixed motives as valid. So even if your client is targeted for economic reasons or uh, some uh, sort of personal retribution. Their family ties may also be a central reason for that persecution for purposes of asylum, even if that's not the sole or even uh, dominant reason. And of course, any particular social groups that advocates propose uh, should be backed up by the facts of the case. So the likelihood of future persecution based on family ties can be undermined if other family members back in the home country are safe. Um, in that case, it's important to understand the other family member's situation back home. Have they received further threats? Are they truly safe or are they living in hiding and avoiding leaving the house? It could also be that the child or the young person was persecuted based on family ties initially, but now they fear future persecution on account of another ground as well. So it's important to keep in mind that the persecutor's motives can evolve over time. And so turning now to our fourth category, gender-based claims. Gang violence against young women and girls in particular has also been well documented in the Northern Triangle. 
particularly in the forms of rape, sex trafficking, and threats to be gang members' girlfriends. In 2014, the BIA issued a precedent decision in a domestic violence case, matter of ARCG, recognizing domestic relationships as the basis of a valid particular social group. Have you seen this case or similar arguments applied to asylum claims related to gang violence? So we have not seen a published decision recognizing an ARCG-type um, particular social group in the context of gang violence, but we have seen many unpublished decisions which are on file with CGRS um, where the adjudicator applied ARCG and other gender-related asylum claims, uh, asylum cases to gang-related claims. Um, it's important to keep in mind that what is considered a relationship in the society in question may be different from what we commonly view as relationships. So even a girlfriend status that is unilaterally forced upon a young woman or a girl by a gang member could be considered a relationship in that society no matter um, what that young woman or girl um, thinks. And uh, gangs wielding power and influence in the Northern Triangle have a heightened culture of machismo that reinforces the idea of women as property. So depending on the facts of the case, attorneys working on these types of claims should consider particular social groups similar to the one recognized by the BIA in ARCG, as well as the ones proposed by the Department of Homeland Security, or DHS, in matter of LR, um, defined by gender, nationality, the inability to leave a relationship with a gang member, or being viewed as property of the gang. Um, and in addition to ARCG, the Seventh Circuit also issued a helpful decision in 2013, CC versus Holder, which recognized the particular social group, young Albanian women living alone in a sex trafficking case. So again, based on the facts of the case, attorneys should consider exploring particular social groups based on gender, youth or childhood status, nationality, and other vulnerabilities such as being single, living alone, or living in a female-headed household. And past persecution can also form the basis for a claim of future persecution. Um, for example, an asylum seeker may fear further harm in the future for having been raped by a gang member in the past, such that she's now marked as gang poverty um, or is at risk of social ostracism. So this does not explain why she was persecuted in the first place, but it can definitely be one reason why she would be persecuted in the future. So now moving on to our final category, uh, political opinion-based claims. Have you seen gang-related asylum claims from children on the basis of political opinion? And do these cases usually have to do with refusing to join or participate in a gang due to a personal or religious or moral objection to gang activity, or because children were targeted by a gang for their political beliefs, like being a member of a political party or having a political ideology? We have seen uh, gang-related asylum claims by children and youth based on political opinion, um, in addition to membership in a particular social group. 
And um, I'd add that, in fact, where supported by the facts of the case, I would recommend presenting more than one protected ground to provide alternative bases for the adjudicator to grant on and to preserve issues for appeal. Um, and a successful political opinion claim does not have to be based on political affiliation or political activism. Political opinion is understood more um, broadly than party membership or formal political ideology or acts and could simply be anti-violence, opposition to gangs, or a belief in women and girls' rights. And there are courts of appeal cases that recognize that children can hold and express a political opinion. However, one counter-argument that often comes up in political opinion claims is that individuals may resist gang recruitment or extortion or report gang activity for a number of uh, reasons and may not actually oppose gangs. Um, for that reason, attorneys should consider imputed political opinion claims um, because regardless of whether or not the asylum applicant actually opposes gang members, their refusal to comply with gang demands may be perceived in and of itself as a challenge to gang authority. And escalating violence after a repeated refusal by the child or the young person to join the gang could be evidence of nexus to imputed political opinion. In other cases, the adjudicator may find that the child or young person has a political opinion, but um, nonetheless denies on nexus because of this common belief that gang members act out of an interest in swelling their ranks, increasing their wealth, or more personal retribution um, or vengeance. It's important for advocates pursuing these claims to emphasize the permissibility of mixed motives, which I discussed earlier, um, and to highlight the political nature of gangs. Um, here at CGRS, we have on file unpublished immigration judge decisions as well as expert uh, declarations, which point to evidence that gangs act as the de facto government in parts of the Northern Triangle that they aim to wield political influence, including through activities such as recruitment and extortion, and that they perceive anyone refusing their demands or um, reporting or testifying against them as opponents who reject their authority. Interesting. And I know this is a question that comes up a lot, but I haven't seen a, a great explanation of it. Uh, is this standard of political activity uh, applied differently for child asylum seekers? Um, so the Department of Justice's children's guidelines, as well as USCIS's training uh, course materials for asylum officers, both explain that adjudication, uh, adjudicators should specifically consider the age and the maturity of the child in determining whether they have articulated a political opinion. So while some children may express their political opinions through participation in a youth group, for example, non-responsiveness or repeated refusal to join can also suffice as an expression of a political opinion. Um, although this case was, did not involve uh, children necessarily, in Martinez-Buendia, the Seventh Circuit held that 
that applicant's refusal to uh, cooperate with FARC in the face of extreme violence could only be interpreted as her opposition to their cause. And also, you know, where women and girls are uh, socially expected to obey male authority without question, um, you know, a refusal by a young woman or girl to be the girlfriend of or have sex with a gang member can in itself be an expression of a political belief in, you know, one's uh, bodily autonomy or against violence against women. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, regardless of whether or not the child actually holds or expresses a political opinion, another argument is that um, he or she may be imputed one based on their actions or their uh, parents' or family members' actions. And um, on a related note, there are also child-specific considerations regarding what is persecution itself. So witnessing harm to family members can in itself be considered persecution to a child, um, given the heightened impact this can have on a child, even if that might not amount to persecution for an adult. Um, I'd just like to add that uh, in addition to CGRS's new advisory on gang-related asylum claims that you mentioned, um, we also have a children's asylum manual discussing case law, um, standards, and other strategic considerations specific to child asylum seekers, which I think would um, be helpful for advocates to take a closer look at. Great. And I think that takes us nicely into our conclusion. And I really wanted to ask you uh, how advocates can use CGRS's new practice advisory and other resources. Sure. So our new advisory, Asylum Based on Fear of Gangs and Other Organized Criminal Groups, uh, Central America and Beyond, provides an overview of the BIA social distinction and uh, particularly particularity requirements, um, including possible arguments challenging the, the, the standard, um, before delving into strategies for common types of claims, including the ones we discussed today, um, such as gang recruitment, gender, family relationship, former gang membership, witnesses and informants, um, extortion, political opinion, race, and religion. Uh, the advisory also contains a comprehensive appendix of both helpful and harmful Court of Appeals cases on each of these types of claims, which I think is a helpful starting point for advocates and their legal research. Because analysis of these claims should be made on a case-by-case -case basis, as I've mentioned, I would re uh, recommend that attorneys using our advisory review the decisions cited um, in it, as well as the appendix, to assess what evidence was found particularly persuasive by the adjudicator in those cases, and to distinguish the facts and country conditions of their case from any harmful decisions. Um, and uh, in addition to this new advisory, I would recommend that attorneys representing children review the children's um, uh, asylum manual, as I mentioned, uh, as well as the um, as well as our domestic violence asylum uh, claims practice advisory, 
which is also available as a resource for uh, advocates working on cases involving gender violence by gangs. Um, so to obtain copies of CGRS's practice advisories, uh, unpublished immigration judge and BIA decisions, country conditions reports, expert declarations, sample briefs, or to request a consultation, attorneys can visit our website at cgrs.uchastings.edu and submit a form for technical assistance. Uh, well, I think that's all the time that we have today, but this has been a fascinating discussion on a topic that too often goes under the radar. Shioni, thank you again for sharing your time and expertise with us. Thanks to everyone for listening in, and have a great day.